right, folks, welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa, and as always, we have host, other host, Lisa Flicker. <laughs> Hi, Lisa. Hi, Chris. I'm always happy to be other host. Your other host, not co-host, other host. <laughs> we had a great conversation with Lisa Bavacqua. Lisa is the executive vice president, head of asset management at Silverstein Properties, located in Manhattan. Uh, what a great conversation, Lisa. She is amazing. She is an incredible, incredible person. I feel like, and what I just love is her energy, her passion, and the way she goes about things. Not just because she said it was in a Lisa way, but I like <laughs> that she goes about things in a caring, nurturing way. And I feel like I can't wait to read the book that she recommended. She goes about it in a, yeah, in a, in a caring way. And you can tell from all of her outside of work uh, volunteer situations that she does have a, you know, she definitely has a heart. Um, and, and yeah, it's nice to see somebody doing it in like a positive way as opposed to just doing sharp elbows and uh, trying to get ahead type of thing. Um, and you know what? She probably wound up ahead of all the people with the sharp elbows. So there you go. Just like you and me. Nicest That's people, right, baby. The nicest people in recruiting. There you um, go. So everyone, please take a listen. Please share and comment and like and follow us and rate and review on iTunes because I think that helps us move up the ladder there um, as far as the, the podcasts and where they're situated on the screen. That's always important. So uh, thank you all. Have a great June and have a great summer. Happy summer. Hi, Lisa. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to have you here on the podcast. Um, folks, we're live today. I'm Lisa Flicker and Chris Papa, my co-host. Hi. And we are uh, we are live today with Lisa Bivacqua of Silverstein Properties. Lisa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Hi, Lisa. Good to see you. Hi, you too. Is that a fireplace behind you? It is, actually. Ooh, I like that. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> Where do you live? Uh, I'm in Westport, Connecticut. Oh, cool. We moved out here a couple of years ago from the city. Very cool. We were talking before the podcast about how beautiful it is in New York, Connecticut today. Oh. Uh, it's a good day to be on the East Coast. Sorry, Chris. No, it's, it's yeah, yeah, it's nice here. I'm actually headed down to Big Sur later today. For the weekend. So we shouldn't feel too bad for you. <laughs> definitely not. So I was telling Lisa that one of the things I'm definitely going to ask her about because she is not only a very successful business person, but a very successful business woman mm -hmm. who gives back to the the, the community of women, which I love. And so I know you're a member of Chief and I know you're very active in Women in Need. And I'd love if you could just tell us a little bit before we get into your career, a little bit about that. Oh, sure. Of course. So um, Chief is something I started doing uh, a couple of years ago, um, and it's really about um, empowering women leaders. Um, there's uh, educational components to it. There's um, a, a speaker series where we get to hear from all these successful women and some men uh, who are leading major companies, uh, giving us tips and, um, you know, hearing their stories about how they got to where they were or where they are has been uh, incredibly useful. And then we have something called a, a core group 
where um, everyone that joins Chief is matched with um, a few other women uh, and a coach. So we do monthly calls where um, we get some coaching on various things that are going on in terms of our own professional development. So it's been extremely helpful. Uh, really amazing group of women. Uh, and it's across all industries. So it's not just about real estate. It's, you know, across all different industries, which has been really, really interesting. Um, and then when or women in need is something I got involved with fairly recently. Um, the I guess it was October of last year. Um, and it's an incredible organization that's really about breaking the cycle of homelessness for women and children. Mm. And um, it's just an unbelievable organization. The work that they do, um, the shelters that they have, the mental health, um, uh, you know, guidance and um, services that they offer to these women and children. There's a camp in the summer for the kids called Camp Win. So the mothers are able to do skills training and go find jobs. Um, just, it's like, I can't say enough amazing mm -hmm. things about it. It's a wonderful organization and I'm uh, very proud to be part of it. Is that based in New York? It is, yes. I'm yes. gonna tag along to the next event if, if uh, that's- Oh, absolutely. Get yeah, it's really unbelievable. Um, and there's so many wonderful things that they're doing these days, too, um, not just with the uh, with the shelters and the, the women and children that they're helping, but also with all the asylum seekers um, that are coming into New York as well. So there's there's some real, real, real challenges that they're facing. And Christine Quinn, who is the CEO, is just an unbelievable um, powerhouse. And she is someone who knows how to get things done. Talk about an amazing mm. uh, well, leader who is a woman. She's unbelievable. Is she a member of Chief? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't think she is. How do you become a member of yeah. Chief? I see like, well, you know, I I, I, are you a member? I'm pledging are you pledging? Right okay. now. Are okay. you? Now you would is it rush week? that it was one of those things where you send a check and <laughs> they check your credentials and you're in. But it's actually not. Um, I've had about four interviews really? and um, one of our, one company that we do a lot of work with the, the principal of that firm is one of the executive coaches, Andrea Miller mm -hmm. um, for chief. So I, I have, I even have some internal folks who are like trying to wow. move it along for me, but I don't know. Oh I guess they gosh. don't like, do you need a letter, no, do you need a letter recommendation? You... I'll, I'll write you one. Thank there's, you, a, there's like a referral, um, uh, process, which you probably went through in the beginning. Um, but I should send your name in as separately. And maybe if they start getting it from yeah. a variety of different people, it'll help move the process along faster. Yeah. I joined early on when they first started. I don't think the rules were as <laughs> stringent <laughs> at that time. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I sure you, I'm sure you deserve it. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I love the women helping women. I feel like it's one of those things where when, when we do senior level searches for women, mm -hmm. I tell the young women on my team, I'm like, and thank those women, because those are the women who broke the barriers. And I'm sure you, like I, could tell a lot of interesting stories, especially in the line of business that you're in. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's you know, one of the other things that I try to spend a lot of time on is working with young women who are either in college or just out of college that are trying to figure out what part of real estate they want to get into. And um, it's always so nice to have those conversations these days because it's so different now than it was when I was going through that process. Um, the, just the 
the options, the number of women, uh, the schools that are even focusing on real estate, like it's a completely different world. But I was never able to find a woman when I was that age that was in real estate that was willing to help me. Mm-hmm. And it made it really challenging. And so I that's something that's important to me to try to uh, be available and, um, and help educate uh, and guide some of those women who are looking to get into the industry. I love that. And I think, you know, Chris and I do a lot of that also. And I feel like it's one of those things where when you're in when you're in a family that's in real estate or even in finance in some mm-hmm. way, it's easy to kind of understand. Like my daughter has her first internship. She's a freshman in college right now. And every morning my husband and I are like, make sure you bring a pad and paper. Make sure you ask questions. First one in, last one out, all these <laughs> different things. That's great. But when we sit with students who don't have that, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. I feel like there are subtle nuances that will make a young person successful that they might not they might not understand. And I feel like that is a lot of the folks that we try to ta- target this podcast to. So, you know, we would love to hear just a little bit about maybe some of the the guidance that you give to those folks. Sure. So, I, I um, as an elder so statesman. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think one of the things that I. I try to convey, at least when I think about getting into real estate myself, it was all very unclear. You know, there's, I think there's so many roles within the industry and even a certain role in the industry, take asset management, for example, what I do, it can be very different depending on the type of company that you work at. And um, so I try to understand from, from the person first and foremost, like how close to the real estate do they actually want to be? Because I think if you're someone who wants to actually walk the properties and be in the properties and working on whether it's capital improvement projects or doing the leasing or what have you, um, that's a very different job than if you're someone who would rather be managing the people who are then managing the real estate and you're two steps removed. Or maybe you want to be more on the lending side or working more on crunching numbers and sitting at a computer and you're not necessarily interested in actually walking and being in the real estate. I think those are, that's sort of the first thing I try to help them understand is, is it really about the finance and the numbers or is it more about the actual physical structure and, um, and walking through it? And I think once that answer becomes clear, then it's a little easier to guide people. And I think for me, one of the things that I try to focus on is everything, or, or a lot of people, I should say, not everybody, everyone that I talk to seems to always know what acquisitions is, right? Oh. Or acquisitions or private equity, those are kind of the sexy uh, topics. That's what's talked about the most. But I think there's many other roles and asset management is one of them where you can get the same experience to a certain extent um, or even more experience that'll give you a broader platform to be able to jump into something more specific as you learn the industry. And so for me on the asset management side, it's often trying to explain to people what it is, because it's one of those things where I, my mother still doesn't understand what I, what I do, you know? Um, You're a broker. You think right? you yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what, what is asset management? It's like when I did consulting before I got into real estate. It's like one of those things where it's people don't know what the hell you're talking about unless they actually do that work, you know, because um, it's, it's so vague. But on the asset management side, really getting people to understand that you're going to work with all of the different types of people within real estate. So if you're on the asset management side, you're seeing that holistic picture. So you're going to work with leasing people and property managers and legal and marketing, and you're going to be dealing with financing and debt, 
presumably, if you're if you're actually levering up your assets, um, investors, right? Like there's you're, there's so much you learn from an asset management perspective, and in some cases you're doing transactions. So you're either doing the refinancings, you're closing the deals, you're selling the deals, you're recapping the deals. Some companies that's a transactions team or an acquisitions team. So again, it's there's those nuances depending on where you go. But I always try to explain to people, try to get the um, a broad experience that you can then leverage into something more specific once you decide if that asset management or something else is for you or if you want to springboard into something else. So I think it's about um, that and then also the type of company. So, um, you know, you're going to get a very different experience working for an operator like I do at Silverstein versus a private equity shop. So in my last job at a private equity shop, I was basically managing the operator. Mm. So they were doing everything on the ground, in the real estate, sending stuff up to us, preparing the budgets, you know, running the lease analysis. And then my job was to approve everything. And so very different level of... Which one do you like better? um, It's, you know, it's interesting. I go back and forth, to be honest. I love being on the operator side. I think that's, that's most of the time, I think what's, what's, uh, what I enjoy the most, because that's where you're really, you're in the details. Like you're the one that's doing all that stuff. And then we're packaging it up and shipping it off to our investors Mm -hmm. to approve. I think where it gets challenging being on the operator side is if your, your interests aren't necessarily aligned with your investor. So for example, say, we really need to renovate a building. Um, it's no longer competitive. You know, there's money that has to get put into a property. And um, if your capital partner or your JV investor is unwilling to fund more money into a particular property, that becomes very challenging because as the operator, your hands are tied. You can't do the leasing that you want because you, you know, you're not competing. But without the investor approval to be able to proceed with certain projects. Um, it's tough for us to move move the needle. Um, and so that that's where it gets really challenging. And it's certainly much easier to be on the side of the investor or the, the capital partner who's just saying no and then saying, hey, operator, you figure out how to do this without that capital infusion. And I would imagine in this environment, it's even harder because, I mean, deals aren't happening, but the money being made is through the the savings of your team, the asset management. Team. Oh, absolutely. And right. sometimes to spend money to save that money. Yeah. And I think, you know, too, it's um, a lot of like one of the things we're doing now, and I keep telling my own team, um, you know, they're getting some great experience right now, as challenging as this market is the experience they're gaining and you're sort of forced to be super creative and think outside the box and try to solve problems that you don't encounter every day. And it's extremely valuable experience, even though it's really, really hard. (laughs) Uh, Asset management is, is definitely extremely important during the down, down cycles here, but it's, incredibly difficult to do during those down cycles successfully anyway, just because there's, you know, so many challenges. Well, how did you get, you started in, did you grow up knowing you wanted to be in real estate? (laughs) No, no, no. (laughs) Where'd you grow up? 
Where I so I grew up in um, a place called Wappingers Falls in New York, which is about um, an hour and a half north of New York City. And um, the only real estate that I had any concept of was selling houses. There was no no one. I didn't know anyone that worked in real estate. I didn't even know commercial real estate existed. Like I know that's really silly. Well, to how would you? I mean, admit, I didn't know either. I mean, admit now, but. No idea. It was a small place. It was definitely very, very suburban. Wapacha um, Falls. IBM. I love it. It's IBM was the there. only employer. Yeah, it's funny. People now, there's a lot of, like, I was near Newburgh and Beacon and, and all of these places that are, um, apparently people go there now for, for long weekends from the city and stuff. They've been totally regentrified. Uh, many of the areas and but we wouldn't go ever when I was growing up it was you know places that you just wouldn't go but um, it's a beautiful place and uh, I just didn't appreciate it at the time but even in college there was no real estate I went to Boston College there was no real estate at the time they have an amazing real estate program now but back then um, so I um, I wanted to go to medical school that didn't you know, I, I, I changed my mind at the last minute and uh, long story short, ended up doing consulting coming out of, of school. And um, the only reason I got into real estate was because I lived in Boston at the time and the south end of Boston was being regentrified. And I was fascinated at how a neighborhood could be transformed and um, how that process happened and how the retailers came in and, the, you know, all of the, the housing that was being built and how it really just changed into this amazing, really cool, fun place. And so I started trying to figure out what, you know, what is this, this development, this real estate, and uh, got my foot in the door at C.B. Richard Ellis in Boston as a leasing broker. Um, which I'm not a salesperson, <laughs> but at the time um, it was a way to kind of just, you know, get in there at the ground level and build some knowledge and try to understand what was going on and figure out what I wanted to do. And so it was an amazing introduction to, to commercial real estate. I worked on the downtown Boston office leasing team and being able to walk those floors and start to understand what tenants look for when they're trying to lease office space. And it was just knowledge that is pretty fundamental um, to even what I'm doing now. The canvassing and walking up and down the, you know, the <laughs> staircases to try to like write down all the tenants in the building, um, you know, that that, you know, I could have, could have done without that, but, but, um, what ended up happening was I, w I knew I wasn't kind of the sales uh, person. I was the one that was going to build relationships with the client, uh, which is what I did at consult in consulting. And I was super honest and I was telling them, you know, no, this isn't for you. Like, let's go over here. And, uh, my boss was kind of like, Lisa, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, we, so we got this leasing assignment, um, for the a new office development in downtown Boston. It was 33 Arch Street. Um, and it was Congress Group Ventures and Len Lease was the, the capital. And so all of a sudden I was in these meetings with the developer and the capital partner and I was fascinated at what they were doing and thought, oh my, I want to be on that side of the table. Uh, and I was a philosophy and psychology major in college. Um, and uh, clearly that wasn't going to get me onto the investment, <laughs> the investment yeah. side of real estate. So I ended up going back to school and got my MBA. Um, and uh, it was scary to, move to do to do that stuff because I, I mean I'm a I'm not a finance person. Lisa was was an accountant, so 
But for me, like looking at spreadsheets and numbers, like trying to do that is is uh, is intimidating. Mm. I think at first, yeah, I was it was definitely out of my element. Um, I didn't make it easy on myself because I went to Wharton and I figured if I'm going to do this, I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to challenge myself, you know, to the to the, the greatest extent possible. Um, but no, I think, you know, the real estate stuff made sense to me. I remember taking a class at, at school with, it was something related to structured products and finance, and I was just totally lost. Mm. But there's something to me that's different about real estate. The, it's, it's tangible. You can, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. So finance generally to me now, I, I have no idea, but real estate finance to me felt very different. Um, and that made a lot more sense to me. And uh, coming out of business school, I ended up uh, going to work for a private equity firm doing acquisitions and asset management. And I loved the asset management side. I loved the client, you know, relationship management and the project management side of asset management and the exposure to all of the different, you know, facets uh, of, um, you know, what goes into owning and operating a building and maximizing value. And uh, so that's where I, I transitioned over and uh, just focused on asset management from, from here on out. Would you be willing to share with us what your day-to-day -day is like? I feel like there are a lot of young folks who, and I agree with you, everybody thinks, right. I want to be an acquisitions person because they understand. You go in, you buy, mm -hmm. you buy a piece of estate. But people don't often even understand, as we were talking about before, that right. You know, so do, are you visiting the properties? What is what is it like every day to be Lisa? Sure. Um, so I, um, you want my day-to-day -day or you want one of my like asset managers day-to-day? Because -day? where I am now, I'm kind of managing the team. And so wow. I'm not as close to the properties necessarily, unless something goes terribly wrong, in which case then I'm involved. So I can give you either perspective. You tell me what's better. You know, give us both. I, You know, I okay. always tell people, think about what, excites you and then try to work backwards in sure. your career. So, sure. you know, maybe we talk about what you do and then kind of how you got there. Okay. So for me, I would say um, I'm involved in a bunch of different things. I oversee the asset management department, the residential leasing department and our commercial leasing department. Um, and so my day is um, really focused at this point on managing the people working. You know, it's, that's a lot of my time is just kind of managing everyone. Um, escalate anything that's escalated. So property level stuff that's escalated up to me, then I start to jump in, into those. So it could be, you know, major lease deals where I'm weighing in on what the deal terms are. Maybe it's a deal that we're really trying to get done in a building, but when we run the analysis, um, it's below budget. It's not necessarily going to add a lot of value to the property but it's going to boost our occupancy and our NOI. So when we go to refinance the next year, it's going to help, uh, you know, really uh, benefit, uh, benefit us from that perspective. So on the surface, it's like, nah, we shouldn't do this deal. But when you start to dig in a little bit more, it becomes more of a strategic decision. So that type of thing I would get involved with. If we have major renovations going on, uh, repositioning projects. So um, I'm working with our head of operations, on those types of projects. Sometimes I'm involved in design decisions for amenity spaces, lobbies, that sort of thing. Um, but most of the time from an asset management perspective, as it relates to huge projects like that, we're trying to figure out what impact is that project going to have on 
you know, or leasing, can we push our rents? Uh, what's it do to the value if we want to try to sell the property five years from now? Um, are we better off putting the money in or waiting to see, you know, if someone else actually can add value to it? So they'll, uh, we'll benefit on the exit from that perspective. Um, it's a lot of um, interdepartmental stuff that I do. So the way we're structured at Silverstein, um, there's a lot of us that have to work together from different departments to collaborate, to execute on a business plan. And so I am often trying to improve processes, um, figure out if there's a roadblock and there's an issue between two departments, kind of getting in there and trying to figure out how to how to resolve that so things can move forward. Um, budgets, annual budgets um, involved with those and getting those approved. I'm involved with all of our refinancing. So it's working with lenders, it's um, uh, negotiating loan documents, running analyses to make sure that the terms that we're talking to about lenders are going to be optimal. If we're having a problem with an asset and, you know, dealing with the lenders on a possible workout, recapitalizations, if we're looking to raise equity and uh, bring it into a project. Uh, and let's see, I mean, it's really so different. We've got a, a real estate tax appeal at one property going on that I'm involved with. We um, have a, a affordable housing program that we're doing in one of our multifamily properties that we're uh -huh. working with HPD on. And so I'm involved in that because we're um, not getting a response, you know, in a timely manner. So that got escalated to me. So now we're trying to work with Revni and a bunch of other groups to try to move that forward. So it's really all over the it's all over the place. Um, from my perspective, but I think at the end of the day, my job is really about what can we do to maximize the value at the properties? And it can take so many different forms. Um, so that's for me. So one level kind of down from, in terms of my asset managers themselves, they each are working with an associate or an analyst on the property. And so the associates or analysts are typically the ones that are in the models, running the numbers in Argus, you know, dumping our Argus cash flows into um, Excel files, layering on debt, layering on um, waterfalls. So each of our properties are in a JV structure. So there's promotes and different waterfalls. So they're running all those numbers that are helping us make decisions. Uh, so the asset manager is overseeing the associate. They're reviewing all their numbers. They're working with our investors. They're communicating um, anything and everything going on to whoever needs to know. Oftentimes, asset management is kind of that central hub. Mm -hmm. And so you've got all the different groups that are working on an asset, operations, legal, marketing, leasing, et cetera. And your asset manager is sort of, I always try to describe it as they're sitting in the middle and you've got all these other groups kind of surrounding them. And it's the asset manager's responsibility to make sure that everyone is communicating and working in lockstep with each other to execute on the business plan. So you can't have like leasing going off, trying to renew a tenant when that tenant hasn't paid their rent right. in three months, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> you got to make sure everybody's coordinated. And uh, so we're kind of that, we're the, we're the coordination, the communication, and then we're kind of the final approval. So if projects need to get done, if um, lease deals are, are being considered. Nothing can really happen without asset management signing off on the numbers. And so that's really the asset manager's job. They're constantly looking at the budget, the business plan, the value, and making sure that the decisions that 
all of the different teams are making on a daily basis are all aligned with budget, um, business plan, and, and uh, enhancing value. Wow. That's awesome. It's a lot. Yeah. It is a lot. Like, no day is the same, and that's kind of what I love about it. It's really all over the place, and the amount of information is, you know, it's like multitask. If you can't multitask, it's kind of impossible to, it's probably impossible to do most jobs, but particularly asset management. Um, but you learn a ton about real estate and because you're exposed to so many different things, um, you can really identify, do I want to stay in this or do I want to, you know, focus in on one particular area. We even get involved with the, um, our development projects at Silverstein, we're not doing the development, obviously, but about 12 months prior to substantial completion, uh, asset management starts to get involved and work alongside the development team to really understand, you know, the documents in place, the loan, um, review the underwriting and understand what's been maybe value engineered out of the construction budget that's going to end up hitting us on the operating side and then starting to put together that first year operating budget. So it's kind of fun as well because we're seeing a little bit of the development side of the business. If you were just coming out of school or, or you know someone just coming out of school, what would you recommend to them to kind of advance their career in real estate and like become the next you? Like what is it, what, what's important for them to know and do? So I think if you want to be on the asset management side or somewhere related to the investments, the acquisitions, or even to a certain extent, the development side. I think understanding the numbers is pretty fundamental and understanding the cash flows and um, what NOI is and, and how you generate value uh, for these properties. So I think anything with, with Argus and Excel and just really making sure that you have that understanding, not just of how to use those products, uh, but also the you know, concepts behind all of those types of things is, is critically important. I think anything you can do to get exposure to as much as possible, I think is really important. Um, and it doesn't matter if it's on the equity side, on the debt side, I think just exposure to so many, as many things as you possibly can is just going to make you more well-rounded. So if you are at a job, it's like jumping in wherever you can, like, Hey, can I help with that? I've never worked on, you know, a transaction like that before. Like, how can I help? I think having that type of attitude and being willing to jump in uh, to various things will not only win, you know, you favor with the particular people that you're, you're doing that for, but I think it'll only enhance your understanding um, of, of the, the industry and, and what goes into it, because I think it's, there's so many things to understand holistically that'll make you better at your specific role within. And I think finding a mentor, that's the other big mm. thing that I think is extremely important um, because, you know, well, even I think a mentor, but also a sponsor too, like you want to have both in many ways. And I think of a mentor as someone who, you can go to who's going to help guide you or you can get advice from or bounce ideas off of. Um, but a sponsor is more someone who's going to kind of go to bat for you and who has a seat at the table who can, um, you know, make sure your name is coming up, make sure you're getting opportunities. And you, you kind of need to prove yourself to both of those people. But I think they're both really important. And it's not just um, mentors within your own company, but within the industry um, and they can be in a variety of different roles 
but forming those relationships early in your career, I think can be very, very beneficial. How do you, do you just come up to somebody and say, Hey, can you be my mentor? Is that like an official job <laughs> title? How, how, do you, how do you, at least as my mentor, but I never, I know, that's it. kind of awkward, right? It's like, <laughs> how, does, how does that work? Um, so getting involved in some of these organizations, like if it's not in your own company, like if it's in your own company, like hopefully you can develop a really good relationship with your boss. Right. And so that person can become a mentor of sorts or a colleague, um, that you're doing things for. But I think outside of your company, the, the various organizations out there, like ULI, for example, they have a young leaders group, um, or crew was something that I was in earlier in my career. Um, those types of organizations, you can, meet people in a, in a smaller kind of more intimate setting. And it's not like this overwhelming giant room of people that you just have to go up to, but usually there's, there's more intimate gatherings uh, and there's opportunities within those organizations to take on certain roles or be on a committee um, things like that. I think those are the best ways to build those relationships organically I think you're right. Going up to someone is a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit awkward. It's hard enough to go up to someone that you don't know and just introduce yourself, let alone introduce yourself and be like, can you be my mentor? I know. Because I think pe- people need to see that you're, I, I don't, don't, this, I don't want this to sound the wrong way, but they need to see that you're willing and willing to put in the right, time. Yeah. Like if, if they're going to put in the time to, to help you um, and be there for you, they need to know that, you're taking it seriously and that you're, you're really wanting to, um, improve your professional network, improve your, you know, skill set, et cetera. And so you got to kind of prove it first. So have, has anybody approached you for the ULI mentor mentee program yet? Because if not after this podcast, I'll be, I'll <laughs> no. be. we have an amazing. Oh yeah. Lisa's very involved program. with that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the biggest one. Oh, really? It's through ULI. And oh, I didn't I'm, even know I've that they had mentor. a specific one. Yeah, no, it's that's great. I, I actually just scheduled a breakfast with my three mentees that I've had over the past three years. Oh, and that's so-, so nice. Yeah, we um, ULI, when I first joined ULI, I was a little bit overwhelmed because I didn't quite know like how, where it was so big and there were so many opportunities. It was hard to know how to, you know, narrow it down and, um, and so over time I've, I've <clears throat> gotten involved in a few things that are like smaller and more. Uh, you know, a smaller group of people, which has been really great, but I didn't realize they had that official program. Oh yeah. I always say ULI is like an onion. And every time you peel back a layer, yes. like, heard more. Yes. Um, I'm chairing the membership committee this year. And I'm like, all right, this is like now my problem to solve. So, uh, but the membership, the uh, mentee program. Is mm. incredible. So do you have yeah, any, so do you have any mentees now? Do I? Yeah. I have, um, I have unofficial, um, mentees yes no one they're asked. not it's not like through official programs no one, it's no one asked you huh women mm-hmm. no one's come up randomly and asked me i might be a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> bit nervous if that happened no i've i've um i've kind of uh unofficially been mentoring a bunch of women within um silverstein for a few years some of which have already left um but i still keep in touch with them and 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 help them with things i've kind of become a person at at work that people know that they can come to and I'll try to work through, um, you know, challenges they might be having or brainstorm ideas for them. And, uh, and so it's, I enjoy it. I, I, I really enjoy that part of, yeah. I, I consider it my job, um, you know, as a, as a leader at, 
at work, I consider that to be one of my jobs. I enjoy it. And I always say that when you're the head of a group, mm-hmm. one of the biggest responsibilities you have is to be in service to your team, right? Exactly. If you're, not, if you're not bringing them up and training them and supporting them, you can't do it by yourself. Oh, 100%. There's no way I would be where I am today if it wasn't for my team. My team is just absolutely invaluable. Um, and I try to make sure that they know that. Uh, there's so much work to do, uh, but I always try to make sure that I'm uh, as, as tough as I am in terms of like getting things done because I'm someone whose things have to move forward. It's uh, I always try to make sure that they know that they do an amazing job. And whenever I can uh, give them accolades to our leadership team, et cetera, like I try to do that. I think it's so important for people to know that they're doing a good job and to feel valued. And that's the sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Are you, um, so you, you guys are focused mainly on New York City, right? We are. We started to do um, more projects throughout the country, though. We, um, we've got an office building that we bought in 2019 in Philadelphia. We've got one we bought in um, L.A. in 2020. And then we've got a, a debt platform called Silverstein Capital Partners, and they're investing all over the U.S., uh, and then we've got another, uh, an opportunity zone fund that we have with Cantor Fitzgerald that they are also investing in kind of shovel ready um, multifamily across the country as well. So we're definitely branching out, uh, branching out for sure. <laughs> are you focused are on you New York? Focused on New York? Oh, I hear the background oh, now. Do you hear the echo? I am. I am. Um, I am focused on New York, but also work on the building we have in Philly. Um, I'm working on something we've got in Vegas and then um, our building in uh, LA. I don't work on the debt stuff though, on Silverstein Capital Partners. That's a separate team. Do you do a lot of traveling for work? Um, no, not too much. Um, you know, occasionally I have to go, I'll go to LA or Philly, um, but not not very often. I think that's one of the reasons why I actually wanted to focus in on asset management back in the day, just being at Silverstein and on the asset management side, I'm, I'm pretty pretty tied to New York. I was doing a ton of traveling in my prior job when I was covering different parts of the country on the acquisition side. Uh, and I'm not, I traveled constantly when I was doing consulting. So I'm, mm. I'm not a, a lover of travel for work. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm happy that I don't spend too much time on the road at all. But are you a lover of travel for pleasure? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Just that's making a, sure. <laughs> that's a totally different story. You seem extremely nice. I, I mean, we've known, I've known you for a little bit. You're very, you seem like a very nice person. Has it been hard to be navigate New York city real estate without having super sharp elbows? Uh, that's been some feedback I've gotten in the past. Yes. That I'm too nice. Um, and I, it's so funny cause I never would have thought that would be negative feedback, you know? Uh, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a little challenging, but I think, for me, at least, uh, the way I like to go about my job is really a very collaborative way. And I think it's important, even if we're trying to get something done at work, and maybe this, again, is how we're structured at Silverstein, but I don't do the type of asset management where, you know, property management, leasing, anyone else that's working on a property reports in to the asset manager, that's the case at some at some organizations where the asset manager is really the one that everybody working on a property reports to, which 
you know, positives and negatives. I think that it certainly makes it easier to execute on a business plan when everyone reports into you. That's not the way it is at, at Silverstein. And so I have a very good relationship with our head of operations who runs all of our property management. Um, but we're peers. So if, if he wants to do a project and the numbers don't work, we have to figure out the solution together. I can't just say, no, you're not doing it. And um, so if that actually works well, I think, with my personality, because I'm not someone that could actually do that, even if that was the role that I was in. I, uh, my, my sense is I want to work with people. Um, even if there's an idea that I have to do something, I want to make sure that whoever is going to work with me on it understands how it's going to benefit them. Like, I'm not going to just say you have to do this or we're doing it my way. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's important that everyone buys in to something. And so I'm always going to be someone who's going to work collaboratively uh, to make sure everyone feels like we're doing it for the right reasons and that they're going to benefit from it too. So yeah, I get the feedback. But... I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I mean, I, I, I like to think of myself as a nice guy. Maybe everyone thinks of themselves as a nice person. I'm not sure, but uh, I don't know. I've... You're very nice. You're very nice. Chris. Oh, thanks. Dude. You are very nice. So my mother-in-law always says, and this can apply to you too. She's like, you're nice, but you do, you get your way in a Lisa way. Hmm. which is a different way from being aggressive and head on yes. It's you know what? I'm collaborative. We all yes. want the same thing. So let's figure out how to make that thing happen. That's so true. We should coin that. It is the Lisa way. That's my way too. <laughs> the Lisa way. Yes. Feel free to do yes. it the Lisa way anytime. I, I ended up always doing it the Lisa way somehow. I'm not it. sure how that happened. She makes me think it's my way, but it's apparently it's not. That's the Lisa way, right? <laughs> Seriously, it's always that works the best. That, that is the best way. <laughs> well, you said the weather's really nice in New York and Connecticut today, but are you ready for it is. the hot seat? <laughs> yes, let's do it. The Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofits, startups, and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brand. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So they outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com. K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. Are you? You're wearing a sweatshirt right now. <laughs> Would you like me to take it off? You can do whatever you want, but <laughs> you might need to. Do you have a book and or podcast recommendation? Oh, you know what? I just finished. Um, I, I finished a book called... Um, CEO excellence. Oh. It's um, it's these different mindsets that um, really successful CEOs have uh, employed, right, to distinguish them from from other maybe not as successful leaders. And I found it to be really fascinating. It was a book written by um, some partners at McKinsey. Um, anyway, it was it was a great book on leadership 
Oh, I can't wait to read it. Do you it. find having a consulting background? Uh, because we spoke to somebody the other day who came out of Bain, um, who's now a president of a real estate firm. Did you find that to be helpful? Actually, I did. Um, so much of what I learned doing consulting was about, you know, managing clients and and managing projects and, um, you know, developing a strategy and then executing on it in accordance with the plan. Mm -hmm. And so much of that is what I do in asset management. All right. Oh, I love there that. There you go. Good answer. So tell, tell us a little bit about your most memorable deal. Oh God. Um, I'll tell you about one. Um, so we have a building, uh, right now in our portfolio downtown and, uh, it's like a 2 million square foot office building. That's over a hundred years old. And we needed to figure out how to make that property, revitalize it, reposition it, make it competitive with newer product out there. And this was pre-COVID. This was like going back to 2015 or so, 2016. And we did the most amazing renovation uh, to the project. And we added, you know, we pulled out all the old plans from over a hundred years ago that we found buried in the, in the basement of the building and uh, did this incredible restoration in the lobby. Um, and then we added all these modern amenities and the terrace and all of these different things. Um, and so to me, it was the most memorable because it was incredible transformation of a very old building into something that is incredibly relevant uh, and competitive today. But throughout the renovation, Every day we were getting these emails from the construction guys like we just discovered an elevator shaft that we didn't know existed. <laughs> and it was like a demo that was going on on one of the floors and they discovered like the most incredible millwork from this space that was leased, you know, however many years ago. Like it was just all these gems uh, that kept coming up that no one even knew existed. Uh, and so it was just a really fun, amazing project that's um been really successful for us, but it was a ton of fun to work on. Sounds like like Indiana Jones movie or something. <laughs> it was great. You mentioned working with young people. Uh, what do you and having a team? What do you look for when you hire somebody? Mm. Your team. And also, do you have a, do you have an interview question that you like to ask people that is kind of out of the ordinary? So I look for um, someone who is curious. I think curiosity, especially for young people, is is really important, especially in asset management. You mentioned before, Lisa, about peeling back the onion and ULI. Asset management many times is about peeling back the onion. And once you get one answer, you can't stop. Like you have to keep peeling and keep peeling until you get to the heart of the problem. So um, curiosity is super important. I like people who are able to um, think about the big picture, but also be in the details. If you're only in the details, oftentimes you miss kind of the bigger picture and thinking holistically about what you're doing is very important. Uh, but obviously the details are really important. Uh, and so uh, those two things, someone who can uh, communicate effectively with all different types of people and someone who can ha use the Lisa method for, uh, <laughs> for collaboration, I think is also really important because again, we're not in a in a place at my job where we can just say, this is what we're doing and be done with it. You have to really build consensus. And so that's important. Uh, and then someone who's um, motivated and um, isn't willing, isn't uh, unwilling to roll up their sleeves and dig in, 
I think you got to be willing to put your time in and uh, prove yourself. And I think someone who's eager to learn is always going to be a harder worker and um, more diligent employee than someone who's comes in thinking that like, you know, I'm going to do this for six months and then I should get promoted. And then I should, it's, that's, that's a little bit tougher to, to deal with. So those are the main things that I focus on. I love that. I have to share this, but years ago I was in a building, must've been 30 years ago and it was a Silverstein building Mm -hmm. and Larry Silverstein was walking through the lobby and there was a piece of garbage on the floor and he bent down. It was a napkin and he bent Mm -hmm. down and picked it up and he threw it away. And that always resonated with me that like, you know, here's this like successful, powerful Mm. business person. But part of, I believe what makes Mm -hmm. somebody like that successful is you care. You don't buy the that's on the floor. That's yours. You're, you know, it's not just a widget. It's, it's exactly. And and like, he takes pride, you know, it's, they're his buildings. He takes pride in them. It's it's similar with any of the employees. Like you got to take pride in what you do. Uh, You got to care about, you know, the work product that you deliver. That to me, that says a lot about what type of employee you'll be. I thought you were going to say, Lisa, that then he opened up the napkin, took something out of the napkin and put it in his mouth. <laughs> you were like, huh, okay. Um, Those stories I, stories I wouldn't share publicly. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. Uh, so, go ahead. I, you know, the last question that we're going to throw at you is, this is the Impact Real Estate Podcast. What have, I mean, we've talked a lot about how you've made an impact, but is there anything else that you'd like to add as far as like the the work that you do at Silverstein or just in your personal life as far as making an impact on the world? I, <laughs> it's funny. I, um, sometimes I, I, uh, I don't, it doesn't occur to me that I'm making an impact. I'm still just doing my job and not, you know, it's, it's so funny to hear you say it that way. It's like, I, it's almost like it makes me feel uncomfortable because I, uh, I feel like I'm just doing what I love. And I, and I think um, I just continue to try to work hard and I'm just grateful for my team. Like I said, that's, you know, I I wouldn't be here or be making, you know, any impact uh, at Silverstein if it wasn't for them. And so to me, it's, it's really about them and making sure they're successful and that they have what they need to, to succeed um, because they're the ones that are making me look good. That's beautiful. Well, thanks, Lisa. I wish you worked with yeah, us. Yeah, come work for us. <laughs> what, also, what are you? What's your in-office policy right now? So we've got um, we're we're in four days a week, and then everyone can work from home on Fridays, which is why I'm in a sweatshirt. Yeah, that's great. At home, that's great. <laughs> Loving it. Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. We've been back since like September of 2020. We didn't waste any time. We were. Uh, and it's, it's so funny because I think people were even, you know, I don't mind Zoom now any, anymore because it's, you know, it's, we're been, we've been away from it for a while, but it was just so nice to get off of Zoom and get back in the oh, office. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was oh, such yeah. a, and we were doing more work. We were, we were having more meetings for those few months that we were home than we had today. It was just like back-to-back Zoom all day. It was exhausting. Oh, yes. Yeah. Zoom fatigue is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I work generally remotely so yeah it's exhausting i get tired yeah, real and quick. Get, in new york i'm like, like around my around my people is like more people around me energizes me 
Exactly. Exactly. And we get so much more done. Like I know it sounds like, you know, everyone's talked about this, but you really do like get things done in the hall and at the water, you know, cooler or in the elevator. Like there's so many things and answers you can get just off the cuff like that. It's, it's uh, definitely much better than sitting on zoom all day long back to back. Yeah. Which is why I'm a huge believer in New York city. Mm. When I go into the city and I have an office in Stanford and I do work there, but when I go to my city office, I feel like the ability to connect with people, I'll meet you for breakfast, I'll meet you for lunch. Mm -hmm. It's just, there's nothing like it. And the energy you get, you can't replace that. So Exactly. That's exactly right. And it's it's um, been interesting because I when I moved out to Connecticut from the city, it was right before COVID. And so the time I've been back since September of 2020 has been commuting. And I actually have a two hour each way, a two hour door to door commute. Um, and, but it's so interesting because as soon as I get off the train in uh, Grand Central, it's like a different world and the energy and the people and the buzz. And it's, it's, yeah, you can't replace it. You cannot replace it. Mm-hmm. Two hours. Never bet again. I don't want to ever hear you complain again, Lisa. She never, she never complains. She never, she never complains. Well, Lisa, it's okay. I figured out how to structure my day, so I save all my like emails and documents that I have to read and all that kind of stuff. I do that on the train, and I deal with everything else um, that's needs to be in person when I'm at the office. So it's fine. It works out, and I get this beautiful um, town that I get to, you know, uh, relax in during the weekends and on Fridays. Yeah, you make so fires in your fireplace. Yeah. You got it. Roast marshmallows. Festival world. S'mores. We did that last weekend. Oh, really? You got it. Of course, Santa Claus (laughs) comes down, right? You've got to have a chimney. The kids loved it. The kids loved it. (laughs) Love it. Uh, Well, Lisa Bivakwa. Did he pronounce it correctly? Yes, that was very good. I love it. Uh, You got it. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been great to get to know you over the years, and thanks for being such a great guest. Thank you.